You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Continuing tonight a series of programs I'm hosting about unusual animals and humans who come to engage their presence is our guest Charles Russell. Spirit Bear, Encounters with the White Bear of the Western Rainforest, a Key Porter 2002 release, is the story of Charlie's quest to forge a unique relationship of mutual trust with the rare spirit bear of Princess Royal Island. Russell believes that many problems associated with bears, in particular attacks on people, are the direct result of their dependence on human food or garbage. He has been among the bears of the Rockies of Siberia and in Alaska, living among the grizzlies in childhood as well as brown bears. Being with bear, one could say, is what Charlie does. He does bear hugs. Charlie Russell is a photographer, a naturalist and rancher, pilot and Canadian wilderness guide, making Charlie Russell the perfect man to take us into the realm of bear and the very special white spirit bear story, among others. Thank you so much for being with us, Charlie. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, it was my dear friend, a mutual friend of ours, Gay Bradshaw, who introduced me to your work, and I want to thank her for that. Yes. Yeah, that that's great. I appreciate Gay very much. Yeah, well, you, her amazing work with elephants and post-traumatic stress syndrome and understanding that all species have community, feeling, sentience, awareness. Look, your own childhood, which is in itself an extraordinary one, really was preparation for the life you've led as a man. In your book about the white bears, your brother tells a little story about your very infant life and a bear showing up on the veranda while you were in the carriage. Can you tell us more about that? Of course, I can't remember because I was too young, but that was, uh, we lived right on the edge of a national park and on a ranch, and it's been in the family for uh, hundred over 100 years. And I'm still, that's where I'm talking to you from. And, yeah, my... It's a place where there's a lot of bears, and I, I guess my yeah, my father's story is that it was a very early introduction to to bears, and I have been interested in them all my life. It's uh, I don't know the, the you know why it's such a strong interest, but it's something about how they've been treated. Uh, and misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father got me really interested because he decided to make a film about grizzly bears. In when I was about twenty years old, he he wanted my brother and and myself to be cameramen for this film, and that was in 1961, so over fifty years ago, and. What I saw was a was an animal that was so different from from the, the animal that we depicted in our stories all the time. It it it, it was a, it, to me it was a beautiful, intelligent animal, and yet the stories were were all about violence. How how they were, wanted to 
kill us all the time. And and so that really caught my attention. How could an animal appear so differently and, and, and seem to act differently around myself and, and uh, my family, and, and yet uh, nobody told nice stories about them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've talked on this theme with some other guests about how large predator animals that are so essential to the ecosystem have been painted by humans who mostly are hunters and these animals only real enemy um, as being savage. And and yet your work also in Russia, um, which you're very well known for, and there was a uh, a beautiful PBS documentary walking with giants, the grizzlies of Siberia, about your work, as well as Bear Man. Of, how do you pronounce that part of Siberia? Kamchatka? Kamchatka. Kam- yeah. Kamchatka, a BBC special in 2006. So share with us when you, for instance, this decade you spent in Siberia. I mean, you're, you're world-renowned, Charlie, for having opened people's eyes up to the fact that this is a, a community of species that have such intelligence and awareness. And you even said that, I read in one of your books that, for instance, the white bear may not have big territories, but the adult bear will have, the male bear in particular, will have an area that they keep around themselves to keep themselves safe. Talk to us a bit about how they live among each other. It's, it's a little different, too, again, about how we talk about it, but they seem to be, want to be social, uh, but uh, they, it's to their advantage, I think, to be quite solitary. And because of their size, they're, you know, they're they're able to do that. They they kind of dominate the landscape. They can, they're so strong. They can, you know, if they run into trouble, they can usually get out of it just from their strength, and and they're they're capable of creating. There's not many bear, not many animal, other animals that push them around except each other, mm-hmm. and and so. Uh, when they have to be social, they they are, they because they're drawn to certain food sources like salmon and berries, and sometimes those food sources are are, are quite uh, you know isolated or not a, not in a big area, so that they, it kind of crowds them together and. And in those situations, they 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 can get along quite well, and but they 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 don't choose to be there. I think it's uh, when they can spread out, they usually spread out. Uh, I noticed that with the cubs that I I rescued and raised. These were cubs that were in a, a zoo, and I learned that. When they got to a certain size, these were they they were there very small when they were young, and when they got to a certain age, they could they could hurt people because the zoo was so primitive that kids could reach right into their cage. So mm-hmm. you can imagine that you know they'd been teased a little bit that became dangerous, and the cubs were just killed and waited for the next year to get some little ones again. And yeah. 
I would buy those cubs and take them out uh, to my very remote cabin there uh, and let them become independent. And and they would be sometimes around. I wouldn't feed them for more than that first summer season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But they were never discouraged from being around me if they wanted to be. And so it was so amazing to walk with them every day and see you know what they what they did and uh, year after year they were so close together themselves they were so uh, when attached to each other that they uh, initially they wouldn't uh, separate they looked after each other mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then as they got a little older, they, they they eventually would break up. They don't stay as siblings together all for very long. I mean, for years and years. But these animals stayed together till about three years old. And then I noticed that they, <laughs> they would kind of get of an row when they found a dead salmon along the lake shore, and and they'd fight over it and go on to the next one and fight over that one. And so I I noticed that pretty soon they, they would go around the lake in opposite directions from each other so that they didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So that was the way they separated themselves. But then when later when it wasn't competition, when the pine nuts came on, there was lots of pine nuts, they would join up again and go eating pine nuts together because there was so much in a small area. So so basically if there was competition it was over food but it but they're yeah. but they're not like other animals that are in packs. I mean you'll you'll talk about you'll hear about a mother bear and her den of cubs. Does a male bear um take on a relationship to a female and her cubs and stay around them the way lions do in herds? No, they or don't. Prides, I think they call them. No, they don't. Interesting. They, they, so you're kind of like a bear, Charlie. You've lived like a lone rancher out there, though you have a beautiful partner and family. But but I, it sounds to me like some part of your attraction to them, like I love dogs and I know my attraction to the dog, your attraction to the bear is also that they're, it seems, you're, you're, a, you're a naturalist and a, you, you like the isolation of the outback. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, yeah, I feel quite similar to bears, and I think that's what my interest was yeah. <laughs> to them. Uh, I don't like the, the biggest problem that bears have with humans is being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. They, we, we continually, we're so afraid of them that we make up stories about them mm-hmm. uh, that that. Uh, you know, are usually not very favorable for the bear. And that's why I went to Russia, too. I wanted to understand a few things about them for sure. I wanted to demonstrate, for instance, that that bears weren't unpredictable uh, and that they weren't dangerous if they, just, if they lost fear of people. Because <clears throat> these two ideas were the excuse to kill so many bears mm-hmm. around national parks even. But we we have never 
done well at living closely with them and sharing our land with them because we are so afraid. And so uh, I wanted to demonstrate that these ideas were, were incorrect. And I think I, I think I have, but I still have a lot of trouble convincing their managers and various people that, that, that these animals can be trusted. Mm-hmm. Humans can, you know, that there, there can be a very strong trust built between humans and bears. As you point out, and as the films have shown, and as the pictures, even the photographs of you standing with a bear. I I love the photograph of you fishing in the river with the bear standing right next to you, looking at you fishing as your companion, your your just beautiful friend. And and we're going to come to some of the stories in your book, Spirit Bear, but... It's a really important point you just mentioned, because we see that with the wolves. Another show I've done is how our society for the desire for hunting and trophies and, you know, super kills that are sort of set up for the person who wants to use their gun. I I don't get it. I never have, but they do. Um, And so we've been decimating the predators and therefore really wrecking the ecosystem and the relationship between, for instance, the wolves and controlling the deer herds or because they want to have bigger moose, so they kill off the wolves. Talk to us a bit about this, this whole misunderstanding of um, the ecosystem between predators and other animals. Feel good about killing an animal that you have no intention of eating, like a bear. There used to be a time and that we did eat black bears, especially. Mm-hmm. But but that time has gone by quite a long time ago. So so we we tend to kill wolves and cougars and bear because, just for our own. Egos, and we, you know, we've developed this whole industry around it almost, and mm-hmm. and the, but even before that, bears in particular were considered a very heroic thing, mm-hmm. an animal to kill. Yeah, and so, so it somehow we borrow strength from this strong animal to ourselves by killing it, which I have trouble with that as well. Yeah, it just, it's uh, illogical but, on top of breaking the heart. <laughs> that's right. And and then now that there's, you know, people are, are, are bare view, you know, going out to look at these animals rather than to kill them. There's more more people doing that mm-hmm. now than there, there are hunters. But but hunting is such a strong part of our culture because it goes back for so long that that we tend to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But it looks sillier and sillier all the time. So hunters are having a harder and harder time. You know, that type of hunter is having a more difficult time to look like a hero. One that, you know, especially yeah. when they come home and their daughter or their wife says, why did you kill that beautiful animal? Yeah. You know, because they see the, they see the real animal on television, and it's often now de- depicted in a, in a much different way than hunters depict it. Mm-hmm. And I think one, our mutual friend Gay, I think the Brad, Dr. Bradshaw's done so much to sort of, 
take away this capacity that we have to sort of um, disassociate from our own violence, you know, to call violence heroic. That's what war looks like. And so we war on the land, we war on the animals, we war on the women, we war on the children. And, And all of this is changing. And when people like yourself have spent an entire lifetime in relationship to a species and has been able to preserve for humanity a genuine insider's experience, one can't help but come away loving bear. Yeah, but the, the problem is that, that the hunter still goes out there, but he's having a more difficult time, as I say, to look mm-hmm. like a hero, but it's still a strong part of a culture. For, uh, it, and, but they have to uh, tell lies almost about the animal to feel good. They tell lies to themselves. Of course. And to everyone that would listen to them. Of course. Uh, uh, about uh, how dangerous it is to be around and what a favor they're doing to get mm-hmm. this horrible animal out of the way mm-hmm. uh, to make the, the world safer. Well, you know, it, it almost, a- Charlie, do you think it's like almost as if society, we have to take our first break of the hour, but associates um, the the scale of this animal with an inability to accept our own wildness within, and wildness within instead gets expressed as violence without. But wildness within isn't violent. Wildness is beautiful, really, when you tap into it. Yeah. Wild is is kind of a difficult word Mm -hmm. in a way, because what really is wildness? I mean, we... You know, we kind of separate ourselves often now, I guess, through human privilege or something, that away from the idea that we're wild. So, uh, <clears throat> and we've got into seeing wild as almost an entertainment for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and and we we like the idea that there's this unspoiled sort of. <laughs> You know, the world out there, it's getting smaller and smaller and therefore more and more precious. But mm-hmm. but we, we, we like that idea. We don't include ourselves into it. And that's a real problem in understanding nature. We, we've separated ourselves from, from nature. Uh, and we've done this for a long time. Uh, we, we feel like we're a contaminant on nature. I mean, I'm talking about people that that have kind of learned to like nature and go out and experience nature. They still feel that they're an intruder into mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. And this is a strange, strange thing to me. And now I, I kind of, I think I, I broke out of that. And my my bears, the cubs that I raised, they they were the ones that Kind of taught me that I was I was a, a part of nature, and, and it it was really just how you know how you saw yourself. You had a you you could be a positive part of nature or a negative part, but you were a part of it. Mm-hmm. And and so and that was that was a really nice feeling to to feel a part of nature when when I got thinking about it and. And and I really was able to live like that. I uh, 
and you know I'm not talking like it was an elitist thing, but you know what else are you if you aren't a part of nature? You can certainly be a negative part. We've we've sure figured that out. Yeah, sure. we've perfected that. Yes. <laughs> we've exported that as well. I mean, it's it's this global tragedy. But you know, moving into a period of restoration, this is one of the reasons I've taken interest in these special relationships that some humans, like yourself have formed with our kin species. And um, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about your work in with Spirit Bear in this beautiful book, Encounters with the White Bear of the Western Rainforest. This is Eva Sargent from Defenders of Wildlife in the Southwest. If you want to help the Mexican gray wolf, go to our website, defenders.org. Hit the Take Action tab on the first page and sign up for our alerts. You're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zahara Hieronymus. Go to his website, Charlie Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L Bears.com. That's Charlie Russell Bears.com. So, Charlie, this beautiful book called Spirit Bear, Encounters with the White Bear of the Western Rainforest, um, was done by Canadian Geographic, and it was really the telling of you're accompanying some others who were going to make a film, Jeff and Sue Turner, and their film, Island of the Ghost Bear. Talk to us a bit about this journey and what attracted you to it. Yes, this is a bear that back in the, my early lifetime was barely known about by anybody it, because it lived in such a remote, isolated place on an island mostly on an island in, in, uh, along the B.C. coast. It was quite a large island, very wooded, and, and so not many people saw this bear. Uh, and <clears throat> we decided to do a film about it around 1990, and, and it, it became very controversial because people were so enthralled with a pure white black bear that uh, it became a strong tool to save a big part of the West Coast rainforest there because people wanted to to protect the habitat and, mm-hmm. and so so it went from total obscurity almost to to being out there where everyone was talking about it and so it was kind of interesting to be involved with exposing this animal to the world and seeing uh, all the ramifications of that. It was a beautiful time, though. A, a very, but a very special kind of bear. I mean, you know, I've I've been doing this series on the white buffalo, the white lion, the white tiger, the white wolves. Uh, now a white bear, and in almost all. Um, environments in which these animals exist, they're called spirit animals, whether it's a spirit yeah. bear or, or white buffalo as the spirit buffalo. Would share with us a bit of your own experience of this extraordinary bear, because are they different from the black bears? Are they different from the grizzlies? What, what makes this bear different? Well, in the dark rainforest, there's the most striking difference is how they just shine almost in in the darkness of, of rainforest, uh, shadows that would completely hide a black bear, or this bear just shone out of. And so, uh, 
so, so they're very spectacular visually. And it's not like the polar bear, which is, you know, often seen on ice and snow and it's white. So it doesn't, you know, it blends in. Yeah. This, this animal doesn't blend in. And <clears throat> so so that's spectacular. But whether they're different, it, it's pretty pretty subtle, uh, if, if that's the case. They they also seem to though, to stand out amongst themselves a certain amount. So uh, there, there there was a little bit of discrimination to them because there were more black bears than white bears. Mm-hmm. But but that wasn't really severe. Uh, the natives knew them way back, and they were very special to the to the native people, like you mentioned. And like the white buffalo was very incredibly special to the Blackfoot natives, and so, uh, but but they the natives lost touch with them on the west coast, and mm-hmm. and they they rediscovered them now, mm-hmm. uh, but it's uh, yeah, there, there isn't a huge difference other than. That they, you know, that it's a double recessive gene, which is doesn't change people's personality. If we have one, blue eyes are a double recessive gene. Uh, so, so it's, it's it's there's nothing nothing that's going to make an animal different that way. It's, it's interesting because one of the, um, I forget which chief it was at the moment, who was talking about the white buffalo and the reappearance or the white lion or others, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that they stand out. You know, if if one believes that all species have sentience, which I do, and all species have sole purpose, which I also believe, I, I have taken interest in this as it was actually a waking meditation where all of these white animals came out of the woods and spoke to me in a um, sort of an image, not in like a long discussion, but the, the image was that humans think that they're going out to meet these white animals, and that's not what the animals said. The animals said to me that they are coming out to meet humans in order to impart something very important to the human race at this time on Earth. And so it it interests me that all of these white animals are extremely vulnerable in the environments in which they live because they can't camouflage. And yet in so many cultures, they're considered extremely holy. And there are some individuals like yourself and others who go out of their way to help the preservation of the species, whatever the species is. Do you think there is a message coming from all of these great animals coming forward? Yeah, I I felt it. I I wrote a book about it. It was so outstanding. And, you know, when we did this film years ago, Island of the Ghost Bear, yeah, it, it really opened their eyes to people all over the world. There was something very special about it. And then, uh, so, yeah, I can, I mean, it certainly spoke to me in the way you described. <laughs> and it perhaps directed me, uh, you know, in a stronger way to, to what I've been doing most of my life, which is, is, is trying to, show people how uh, 
others are, uh, and and <clears throat> and it, it's more and more aggravating that that we are so hard on them mm-hmm. because of our fear. It's mm-hmm. our fear that makes them hard, uh, difficult for us to to accept near us. It's fine if they're through cage bars and or you know out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. We, we've done them a great disfavor, the grizzly bear especially, by insisting that they need pure wilderness almost to, to, to exist in. This, is, this was a great tool for environmentalists to, to get areas set aside for wilderness, but it kind of did the bear disfavor, the grizzly bear disfavor, mm-hmm. because they are... I think they're perfectly capable of living a lot near us and sharing the land that we dominate, which is the productive land. They don't need to. They don't do very well in the wilderness, you know, in the high mountain right. wilderness where we would like them to be to be away from us. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they start coming out onto the ranches like they do here now, uh, we, we've allowed them to come out onto. But not everybody did. I mean, you were really one of those unique ranchers that left your ranch open to the grizzlies. And I think by demonstration and and walking your talk, you've shown people that it's true, that, you know, that these can be members of our society and our community and where we live when we respect their needs. That's that's right. And so, yeah, but it's happening more more and more now. More and more ranchers, the, the, the newer generation, younger generation of ranchers, uh, they don't like it too much when bears show up on their property uh, around their buildings. But but they seem to be more law-abiding, more respectful of laws. In my generation and gener- my grandfather's generation, these bears were so discriminated against. They weren't... A- they didn't dare step on our, our land mm-hmm. without getting killed, and, and it's changing now. Uh, I kind of maybe led it a little bit. Oh, but. no question about it. You certainly have, and, you know, it's a beautiful thing when a human being like yourself has dedicated, as you have, your heart and hands, your soul and your life to living among the bears so that it's not just theory, it's not intellectual writing, it's it's life experience that's very true. You know, I think, actually, I interviewed somebody who was probably inspired by you, a, a young man named Tim McGrady, who runs Spirit Bear Lodge in British Columbia now, giving tours into the wilderness to see the bears. But that's yeah. all. And, and the amount of money now, I read this interesting study, they're making more money with ecotourism for communities than hunting. And so it's an interesting thing that by partnering in some fashion um, without disturbing the habitats, I suspect, in ways that one can, uh, it's a very profitable, it's kind of funny that going and being partners with these animals is more profitable than killing them, even though that makes sense spiritually. It's it's funny in a way, economically. So what what then, Charlie, when you say you you were among these white bears and, and something very special did happen to you, what would you say their gift to you has been? Well, I, I guess that the gift to, to me is that I want I want people to understand these animals. I guess 
what I what I learned from them that they're, they're so different from the way we talk about them mm-hmm. or tell stories about them that that I wanted them to people to tell real stories or or, or good stories because really these these animals are so so wonderful and really they don't they don't hurt very many people uh, you would think from what all we do to them that that they would do a lot more damage back to us if they had a chance but they don't and and so this is what I've wanted to sh- show people, mm-hmm. and and I really worked hard to to demonstrate. Some some people think I'm being an exhibitionist or something, mm-hmm. trying to get myself killed by showing people that bears can be trusted. Uh, my my photographs, uh, you know, of people and bears together is is to demonstrate that that these animals are definitely trustworthy you get what you give by most animals yes so if exactly. you give them if you give them roughness or, or violence you get violence back not as often as we would do it if we were with ourselves you know i mean mm-hmm. it doesn't you know it doesn't take too much to to instill violence out of people but it does out of bears mm-hmm. but we re- we remember it uh, and we tell stories about that one incident of, of violence from a bear, and yet we're doing it so much to them. We kill thousands of these animals for every one of us that ever gets killed by them. Mm-hmm. And this isn't fair. Uh, it's not. Uh, people, I think, want to 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 get along better with with nature and with that type of an animal. It's a symbol of being able, if you can get along with a bear, it's people, you know, I think it's a, it's a nice feeling. And, and I think that's what it's so fast. So many people are fascinated with these large predators mm-hmm. because it, they, they treat us differently. Uh, like, uh, orcas, killer whale. Yeah. Why, you know, they they get really strong predators uh, where they're killing seals often and and even you know bigger animals they will they will completely go around humans yeah. there's, there's only been in the wild one person that I know of maybe a couple people ever being killed by them and they seem to be accidents where they they mistook people for seals why is that? I don't. I don't understand it. But grizzly bears are somewhat the same. They, 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 they you know, they predate on other animals. But uh, I've watched them stalking black bears, and and it's amazing. If they did that with us, uh, we couldn't live with them. Uh, but but they they uh, but they get along with us, except that. Eventually, they've had enough of bad treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, even even in our national parks, we treat them roughly to, because it's an idea of management is is that if you can keep them fearful of us and us fearful of them, that keeps us apart. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't. And it's so contrary to the millions of years that precedes the Industrial Revolution, you know, where all First Peoples' stories 
and and indigenous practices are about collaborative living. And as you pointed out, hunting was for survival, not sport. It's considered, you know, weakness to kill if it's not for food, unlike our modern culture. Uh, that we talked about earlier. Look, we have to take our last break of the evening. If you're just joining us, Charlie Russell is our guest. He's written a number of wonderful books. There have been some PBS and BBC specials about him. I want you to go to his website, www.charlierussellbears.com, and you will fall in love with Charlie the way the bears have. This is Deborah White Plume, Oglala Lakota, from the beautiful Pine Ridge homelands here with Zoe Hieronymus on 21st Century Radio. If you want to learn more about Oweaku or Moccasins on the Ground, our website is www.oweakuinternational.org. CharlieRussellBears.com is the website of our guest this hour. Charlie, I want to ask you a question that might seem silly, but it interests me. Did you notice the bears' behavior being different around full moons than new moons? I haven't noticed that. No, I, I haven't. No. Why? Why have you, have you? I've noticed everything acts differently during a full moon. I have this theory. I different from a full yeah, well, moon. I, I think that, well, I don't know. You're such a natural guy. You've been out on the range, up in the mountains your whole lifetime. Do you notice a difference in yourself between the new and full moon? Not markedly, no. But but I but I really, there is something lifting about it. You, you want to take note of the full moon just because, I think, because over your lifetime, you, you've, noticed a difference, I mm-hmm. guess. When Well, so, look, we're not going to have a lot of time left, and there's so many things I'd like to ask you about, but maybe you could share with us. You've, you've known many bears. They have names to you. Can you share with us a bear story of one of the bears you've come to love and who love you? Well, yeah, <laughs> this one demonstrates how intelligent they are. You know, bears aren't naturally aggressive. We make them aggressive. And so to be able to wander with animals that that you've made kind of a point of, what, what, I, what I've done is I've made a point of getting along well with them and, and, and building trust in them. And it's quite easy to do that. You, you just you just don't do nasty things to them. It's just like getting along with people. Mm-hmm. And and so as these cubs that I rescued, I keep coming back to them, but please also understand that there were hundreds of other bears in the area, naturally. I figured 400 bears. So you couldn't go for a walk wow. hardly without encountering them in a very short time. And, I, and this is, you're see... speaking of Siberia when you were in Russia, yes. okay? Yes. So one of, one of my favorite experiences was to, to link up with a, a bear that, that I've known for six years. And we had such a, a close relationship with it. She, she learned that I, with my binoculars, I could spot dead salmon floating way out because they floated with their pectoral fin out of the water and 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 I could see it farther than she could because and I'd spot them out there and then direct her to to 
swim to swim out to them and get these because some years there weren't very many salmon and and everyone was precious uh, i could do that by starting just pointing to the to the in the direction and she would start to swim wow. or i'd throw a pebble in the water as far, as far as i could in the direction of the fish she would swim out to it then she'd look back and I could hand signal her farther out for hundreds of meters until she could see the fin floating above the water. So that was a kind of partnership that that we had. She would be around five years old at that time, uh, totally independent, uh, but you know, uh, normally. But she was dependent. She learned that we had. It was kind of a game. With yeah, her. you were a helper. Yeah, it was a helper, and it was a wonderful feeling mm-hmm. to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. I could, I could call her right across the lake. She, if if uh, if I had something, I'd be careful that I had something interesting to show her. If I did that, but she would come a mile across the lake swimming. It's beautiful. To my call. Did did but, you find, or do you find that you also communicate with them telepathically, just through your mind? Boy, it's a, it's such an interesting subject. I, I've experimented as much as I could, but what I see is that is that they develop, they have that sense. They can understand people uh, way way better than than I could even mm-hmm. other people. And so I'm not claiming that I I have <laughs> these skills very very acutely, but but I see it in them, and I wish I had it. I think we've lost it. We've lost, you you brought up something about that we've lost. You know our ability to live. There was there was signs of people living in this area where where I was had my cabin in this remote place in Russia, and you could see the pit houses. And I did some research on them, and they were hundreds of years old, and they hadn't been, the natives had disappeared for violent reasons, uh, human reasons, many years ago. But I, w- I was curious about how they would they would have lived there, because people weren't living there, and it was about the numbers of bears. But we, we had lost the ability to live with that many bears without just killing them all off. Mm-hmm. And, but, but these People hundreds of years ago were living with them quite well, and I, and with the help of a Russian friend, I did research, you know, liter, liter, literature research on them, and found only one really good example of, of, of description of how these natives lived with them. The, the natives weren't real hunt; they weren't hunters; they were fishermen, mm-hmm. and and he described these natives. With herds of bears, yeah, and, yeah, and I, that was a good description. I heard of bears, but out in the uh, in the tundra fields where the berries were, female women were were with their children were picking berries with all these bears picking berries around them, and the only vi- only conflict they would have once in a while um, uh, a, a bear would take a basket away from full of berries away from people but but that was they obviously weren't fearful of the bear because you they were taking their children out there and mingling with the bears picking 
picking these berries. Mm-hmm. Well, you it, know, you've done a, a, an amazing job in the 20th and now 21st century, Charlie Russell, to remind us that wildness has a great deal of peace and order. And if we approach anything with love, love comes back. I, I wish we could continue, but we're out of time. I had one last question to leave with you with, and it's just, may all your dreams of bears and for bears come true. Thank you. That's the end of the hour. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, and remember, we do need more love in the world. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 